we're able to, Acts chapter 10, and we're going to read from verse 9 uh, down through verse number 16 here. Uh, this set the stage for the message this evening. The Bible says, On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and would have eaten. But while they were ready, he fell in, uh, while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth, wherein were all manners of four footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice uh, to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, what God hath cleansed, thou call not, that call thou, uh, call not thou common. This was done thrice and the vessel was received up again into heaven. Uh, here Peter makes a very peculiar statement, an oxymoronic statement, a paradoxical statement. He says, not so, Lord. And we're going to look at that topic tonight. Not so, Lord. And see how that sometimes we can be guilty of living a not so, Lord lifestyle. Let's pray. Lord, would you help us this evening to uh, grasp the message and not only understand it in our head, but, Lord, to be challenged down into our heart. And, Lord, um, I have found in my own life that for church, for me, for years, has just been one little tweak after another. And so, Lord, tonight, may there be some little tweaks made here that add up to a sanctified, holy uh, set of Christians who love you dearly. And so, Lord, as we look at this truth, Lord, may we make the changes that you lead us to, and may we be people who call you Lord with our lips and then, Lord, and serve you as Lord with our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I believe most of us here probably know the story, but I'll quickly recap it. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ had just ascended to heaven a couple of years prior, and Peter uh, would go into the upper room with uh, the 120 of the men and women uh, who no doubt had been there when Jesus had assembled, or Jesus had ascended rather, and there they would pray, there they would get things right with each other and be in one accord, and God would send down His Spirit, they would speak in tongues, cloven tongues of fire would sit upon their head, I'm sure that was a, a very special occurrence that took place, uh, marking the beginning of the era where the Holy Spirit would indwell uh, the Christian. Peter and the other apostles would go out that day on at Pentecost, the Feast of Pentecost, and they would preach, and 3,000 souls would be added to the church. Now, we don't know how many were saved, but 3,000 went through with being baptized and, and joining the church, and what a great day that was, and the church was exploding in growth, and Peter was having to re invent himself as a leader over and over and over again and go back and draw from what the Lord had taught him over and over and over again. Here we find Peter in his home and he is exhausted. He is not only exhausted, 
but he's hungry. And Peter is up on his rooftop. Now, back in the way, uh, back in those days, the way they did the rooftop was much like a porch would be today. You'd go up on the roof and there'd be furniture up there and uh, you could sit and relax and catch some sun, uh, much like we would use a porch for today. So Peter calls down the stairs and asks them to prepare making dinner. And God waited for a time where Peter was hungry and God caught him up, the Bible says, in a trance. And in this trance or this vision, a sheet was lowered down with all sorts of animals. And those animals, some of them were would have been labeled uh, by the, a Jewish standard to be kosher or eatable, and others were labeled as unclean or common. And um, Peter, being raised as a good Hebrew boy, had never eaten anything that was outside of the Mosaic dietary laws as prescribed. He had never put unclean or common meat into his mouth. And the Lord says to him in this vision, this trance, while he's hungry, he says, Peter, arise, kill and eat. And I imagine Peter looked at the Lord, who he knew well, who he had walked the earth with for three and a half years. He looked at him and said, what? I have Hebrew law that's been taught to me from a child telling me I can't eat that. And you're going to tell me to do something that I have never done. Uh, Let me just lay out the equivalent for us here today. I'm 35 years old. Alcohol has never crossed my lips. This would be like me being caught up in a vision and the Lord coming down to me with an alcoholic beverage and saying, drink. And I'd say, that's never crossed my lips. And the Lord says, what I have cleaned don't you call uh, uh, unclean. Now, uh, I don't ever imagine the Lord's going to tell me to drink a beer, okay? Please don't take that out of what I'm saying here. But what I'm saying is just as strange as it would be for me to hear the Lord say that, Peter felt just as odd hearing that said. And so Peter, stumbling around for words, trying to figure out what to say, he says, not so, Lord. Not so, Lord. He knew him as Lord, and I believe that he even treated him as Lord. In fact, this passage tells us that the reason why Peter went up on the rooftop was to pray. He went up there to pray. And so he treated him as Lord until God told him to do something that he just was not quite prepared to do. And he says, you are my Lord, the supreme leader of my life. I am your servant and I will do whatever you say, but I won't do that. And then the second time he says, what I have cleaned, don't you call that common? He, and he says, you need to arise and eat. Well, as you know, the vision ends and uh, shortly thereafter, there is a knock at the door in Cornelius. Uh, a, an Italian man has sent his men to Peter's house by the direction of the Lord. And what was the purpose of that visit? Well, uh, the purpose of that, rather, the purpose of that trance was to say that no, now the dietary laws have been removed from Israel. Yes, that was part of it. But the other part of it was to say, listen, Peter, you're very biased toward Jewish people. I want you to go preach the gospel to this Italian Gentile. There was the relation there. And ah, the light bulb clicked on for Peter. I do need to go with these men because what God has called clean, I'm not to call common. I'm not to call unclean, unclean. Let me say this evening that titles are a big deal to God. Titles 
are a big deal to God. Now let me lay the groundwork here. Not so Lord. Not so Lord. The title of Lord. We're going to work our way to that title Lord. But let me just show you that God cares a whole lot about titles. Let's take a a, a journey through the Old Testament here together. And uh, we'll be done in da- Acts 10. We're going to spend uh, uh, expositorily a little later. We'll be in Luke. Uh, you can let go of Acts. Turn over to Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 1. You all here, I'm sure, have it memorized. Genesis 1.1. Nonetheless, let's look at it. In the beginning, who? God. Notice the title of God. And by the way, our Bible translates from Hebrew many different words to the word God. Here, the word chosen for God is Elohim. And the word Elohim means the supreme being. In the beginning, the supreme being created the heaven and the earth. It wasn't just anyone who created the heaven and the earth. It was God who created the heaven and the earth. Notice the title of God. Turn over to Exodus chapter number 3. Exodus chapter number 3 and verse number 13. In the evangelical movement that's sweeping across our country, a lot of evangelical churches are just booming and exploding in growth, and uh, they're mixing a lot of the world into the church in order to attract a crowd. One of the changes these evangelical churches are making in mass is you don't call the pastor pastor, you call him by his first name. And hey, there's Scott, or there's Steve, or in my case, there's Richard, or there's Pedro. And they're throwing the title out the window. Uh, and, and it's an attempt to be relatable with people around you and throw all mystique out the window. And while I get what they're trying to do, I just want to remind us this evening that titles matter to God. Look at, look at Exodus chapter 3 and verse 13. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and uh, shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say, What is his title? What is his name? What shall I say unto them? Hey, he said, I'm going to go back to the Egyptians, and I'm going to tell them I'm here to deliver them, and, and they're going to want to know, God, what is your name? What is your title? With what authority do you do this? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. You know what that means? I've existed in times past. I exist right now and I'm going to exist in the future. I am that I am. And he said, thus thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, I am have sent me unto you. Look at Exodus chapter six and verse number six. Brother Joe, if you could take me down just a hair on the mic. Exodus chapter six and look at verse number six. It says, wherefore, say unto the children of Israel, look here, I am the Lord. I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will rid you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgment. And look here, and I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you a capital G God, and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you uh, out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And so he says here, I am the Lord. I will be to you a God. I am the Lord your God. In Isaiah chapter number 7, if you will turn over to Luke chapter 1 for me. Uh, While you're turning there, let me read for you Isaiah chapter 7, verse number 14. 
seen uh, uh, here the king or Isaiah speaking to the king uh, of Israel or Judah at the time. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Uh, and we find in Matthew the quotation of Isaiah 7. There's a tag to the end of that. God with us. We know that's what Emmanuel means. God with us. Are we seeing here this evening the importance of the titles that God has given himself? They're not just any names. They're not just chosen at random. Uh, God is very meticulous and careful that these names have a meaning. And those meanings bring with it authority and power and importance. Look at Luke chapter 1 verse 31. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, the angel speaking to Mary, and bring forth a son, and shalt shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great. Look here. And shall be called. Notice the, the emphasis put on the title. The son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him as the throne, uh, give him the throne of his father, David. Turn over to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. We see the importance of the title. While you're turning there, uh, the Hebrew word for uh, Jesus would be a, uh, uh, rather, we get Jesus from the Greek word. The Hebrew word translated into the Greek word that's Jesus is the word Joshua. Joshua. Joshua and Jesus uh, are uh, interchangeable names. It's sort of like Pierre, Peter, or Pedro. Juan or John. Just a changing of a language. Uh, who was it that led the Israelites into the Canaan land to give them victory? Well, in a sense, it was Jesus or Joshua that did that. And who is it that's going to lead you into the victorious Christian life? Well, it's Jesus who will do that. Uh, that name, Jesus, was given for a very specific reason. Look at Luke chapter 18 and verse number 18. And we're making our way to the passage uh, this evening that we'll look at, uh, but we're setting the stage. Look at Luke chapter 18, verse 18. And a cer- certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master. Look at the title he calls Jesus by. Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Look how Jesus rebuttals. And Jesus said unto him, why callest thou me good? None is good save one that is God. He's saying to him, if you're going to call me good master, then are you calling me God? Are you calling me God? Notice the importance of, hey, we don't just loosely call God by just any name. Uh, we're very careful with the name that we choose for God. And we're very careful to make sure that we're living in line with the title that we have ascribed to him. Turn over to Luke chapter 6 and look at verse number 46. And here's where we'll be for much of the message. We'll look at some other verses to complement or support. But we're going to look at Luke six forty-six through 49 and, uh, and go along with it. This idea of, of, of uh, Peter's statement, not so, Lord. Look at Luke chapter 6, verse 46. I wonder if Peter was standing there when these verses were, were, uh, were uh, or these, th- this saying of the Lord was said aloud. And why call ye me, Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Why, why do you call me Lord? Why do you do lip service to Lord, but you're not living what you're calling me. You're calling me the supreme master of your life, but then you're going out and you're not following my orders. You remember the parable Jesus gave the Pharisees of the two sons. 
One said, I'm not going to do what you told me to do, but he went out and did it. The other one said, uh, I am going to do what you told me to do, but then he didn't go out and do it. And he said, which one did right? Which one did right? Hey, listen, you're better off uh, uh, saying the wrong thing and living the right way than you are saying the right things and living the wrong way. Much of the uh, church era I grew up in, I heard a lot of preaching that focused on the exterior of the Christian. Wear this, listen to this, do this, don't do that. It was outward exterior appearances and uh, very little focused or out of balance focused rather on the interior of who you are and who you are to be. And let me just say this evening is that if you will make God the Lord of your private life, then the public life will take care of itself. If you will make him Lord of your walk with him in private and your uh, uh, leaning on him and his and his might and his his wisdom to get you through the day to day. And you make him a key part of who you are deep down inside your heart. All of a sudden, what you wear and what you listen to and where you go, those things will correct themselves in time. It's not enough to call him Lord and do lip service to it. It needs to be something that we live. A lot of Christians are good at knowing the right vernacular. They have the right vocabulary. They know how to carry their Bible under their arm. They know how to put on a suit and a tie or ladies, a dress, blouse, skirt. They know how to dress. They know how to talk. But are you not only uh, uh, giving the appearance of a lordship lifestyle, are you living A life where the Lord is in charge. I propose that many Christians call their Savior Lord, but do not always do what a Christian should do. One of the, uh, one of the biggest misused words in church today, uh, really in the world today, is this word Christian. Christian. Can I tell you that that is not a word that, that Christ gave His disciples? That is the word that was assigned to the believers at Antioch because they reminded, they reminded others of Jesus Christ. People looked at the, the, the attendees of the church of Antioch and said, many Christs, miniature Christ. Hey, you know, you're living in a way that reminds me of that Jesus character that walked the earth just a few short years ago. You are a Christian, a Christian. Uh, can I ask you a question this evening? Are you listening up here? Are you living worthy of the title? Are you living worthy of the title of Christian? You know, there are certain conversations at work you ought to steer clear from. There are certain places that a Christian has no right being. Hey, let me take this a step further. There are some channels a Christian has no right watching. There are some movies and shows that a Christian ought not be feasting on with his eyes. There are certain social media platforms that Christians should never go on. There are, there are actions and behaviors that you call yourself a Christian and boy, you show up to church and you look the part and you talk the part and you act the part and while everyone else is looking, but who are you when only the Lord sees you? We're so careful to protect our reputation. 
We don't want anybody to think that we're anything less than a perfect Christian. And listen, at times I work to protect my reputation, but my friend, you ought to be far more concerned about who God knows you are than what others think you are. Who are you in the dark? Who are you when no one else is looking? Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things I say? Let's look at four thoughts as we consider Peter's proclamation, not so Lord. If you got one of those half sheets this evening with the outline on it, I encourage you to fill in the blanks as we go here. Notice point number one, our Lord's credentials. Our Lord's credentials. Hey, you know what? Not just anybody gets to tell me what to do. How many with me this evening? How many? Not just anybody gets to walk up and boss me around. All right? Even when I was a little guy, when I was uh, an 8, 9, 10, 11, 12-year-old boy, some adult that wasn't my parent that I didn't know that was a stranger walk up and tell me what to do, there was something that bowed up my heart and said, you're not the boss of me. You're not the boss of me. Sometimes I'll walk by uh, our co-op that meets up here, and the kids are playing with each other, and uh, they get into a little squabble, and one of them will say to the other, you're not the boss of me. You know what they're saying? You have no right to be my Lord. You have no right telling me what to do. Listen, if somebody's going to be telling me what to do, and I'm going to be taking orders from them, and I'm going to be uh, doing my best to follow what they tell me to to the T, they're going to have to have earned that right. You all with me this evening? I'm going to tell you this evening that no one has earned the right to tell you what to do more than uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. No one. Let me give you some sub points here. Letter A. Notice his power to create us. His power to create us. I could take you to all kinds of passages in the Bible that show you that the Lord Jesus Christ created us. So I'm going to take you to a verse that's off the beaten path a little bit here this evening to show you that. Look at Isaiah chapter 44. And we're going to be, hold your place in Luke 6. We'll come back there in a moment. But look at Isaiah chapter 44. I'm going to show you a verse that you've probably never uh, noticed before uh, unless you're just a Bible scholar and study a lot. And uh, this is a verse that caught my attention this week. And boy, I really got a lot out of it. Look at Isaiah chapter 44 and look at verse number 2. It says, Thus saith the Lord that made thee. And formed thee from the womb. Can I chase a rabbit just for a minute here? That, uh, that child, and I called it a child, that child in the womb, what no accident. It, you say, well, we weren't trying to have a baby. It doesn't matter. The Lord chose it was time. And, and listen, whether that baby was conceived in sin or in righteousness, it doesn't matter. Whether it was inside the bonds of marriage or outside the bonds of marriage. Once a woman has become impregnated, it was the Lord that made that child. And take it a step further, look at the language here, and formed that child. Formed that child. Who created you? You say, oh, well, you know, my mom and dad did. No, 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 no. You, God may have, God very well used your mom and dad to create you, but it was the Lord Jesus Christ that set up the process. It was the Lord Jesus Christ that came down and took uh, the DNA and the cells and decided what your hair color would be, or black thereof, and decided uh, uh, how tall you'd be and, and what, uh, what shade of hue of skin you would have and how uh, 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 just all of the genetics of your body. It was the Lord that chose that. By the way, be very careful about ever putting somebody down for their appearance. Be very careful about that. You are making fun of God's masterpiece. 
It was the Lord that created you. Why is it that he gets to be the one that calls the shots in your life? Well, first of all, because he created you. Notice next, letter B, notice his payment to cleanse us. You're in chapter 44, look down at verse 24. By the way, chapter 43, Isaiah 43, is a powerful, powerful chapter to read and study. And if you enjoy studying the scriptures, or uh, the first sermon I ever preached was out of Isaiah chapter number 43. Uh, the first full-length sermon I ever preached was out of Isaiah 43. But nonetheless, uh, the thoughts from 43 carry over here into 44. Look at verse 24. Thus saith the Lord, look at those next two words, can we read them out loud together? Thy Redeemer. Let's read them together again. Ready? Thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer, and he that formed thee from the womb. There's that idea again. Formed thee from the womb. I am the Lord uh, that maketh all things, that stretcheth forth the heavens alone, that spreadeth abroad the earth by, by myself. This is an interesting tidbit. Some people will ask, how can we see stars that are millions of light years away? And the answer is simple. Uh, uh, some of that is explained here in Isaiah 44. When God created the stars, he put them close to the earth, and then he took his hands and he stretched them from the earth. And we have the light trail left to show it. Isn't that neat? Isn't that neat? You say, well, how can we see those stars from so far away? If the earth, clearly that means the earth has been here millions of years. No, no, no. God took the stars and he stretched them. He pulled them away from the earth. But the emphasis of verse 24 is that he is our redeemer. I'm going to take a gander here tonight at why you showed up this evening. You're not here because you think I'm a good preacher. You're not here. You're certainly not here because you think I look good. Amen? Well, this lady down here. But all the rest of you didn't show up uh, for that reason. Can I tell you, take one guess at the biggest reason why you showed up this evening? Because the Lord Jesus Christ saved your soul. That's why you're here. If the Lord had not redeemed you, there'd be no reason for you to show up uh, this evening unless you were just curious uh, what was going on here. Maybe you needed some sort of help. But those of you that are regular and faithful, you're here because the Lord Jesus Christ, he was willing to die for you. And uh, here we believe at White Oak Baptist Church, we believe the Bible teaches servant leadership. Amen. The greatest among us is to be the servant of all. And uh, you show me who the greatest servant in the room is, and I'll show you who is the largest or the most important in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, why is it that the Lord ought to be, uh, why, why is it that Jesus Christ ought to be called the Lord of your life? You mean, let me tell you why. Because he did the greatest act of his servant when he died on the cross for you. Boy, I I love all of you in here a whole lot, and I mean that. There's not a soul in the room I haven't spent time with, and I don't know, and haven't conversed with, and haven't prayed over. Many of you, I have wept tears over you. And listen, I I would go through a whole lot as your pastor to protect you and take care of you. Uh, There is this circle of people in my life uh, that I know uh, because of White Oak Baptist Church, but then there is an inner circle in my life, and uh, specifically in that inner circle is is Angela and Matthew and April. And listen, outside of those uh, three folks, I don't know where my daughter went, but uh, anyway, outside of those three folks, I can't think of anyone else I'd be willing to, to die for. Can I tell you this evening, I don't know if there's anyone on the planet that I would be willing to go to hell for. Boy, I wish I could say that. I wish I could say I love that much. Jesus went to hell for you. Why is it that he ought to get to call the shots in your life? Why is it that you ought to follow his every whim and wish? 
because of the payment to cleanse us. Notice uh, letter C here, his plan uh, to care for us. His plan to care for us. You're in Isaiah 44. Turn over to Jeremiah chapter 1. Should just be a few pages to the right there. Jeremiah chapter 1. Now, when we think of uh, being formed in the belly, we think generally of this verse in Jeremiah. In fact, uh, this verse is quoted a lot and used a lot. But let me show you something in this verse that uh, isn't quite there in Isaiah 44. Look at Jeremiah chapter 1. Look at verse number 5. It says, before I, speaking, God speaking to Jeremiah, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, look here, I sanctified thee. There's those first two thoughts. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. You know what God said? Isaiah, or rather Jeremiah, before you were even a twinkle in your mother's eye, I already had a plan laid out for your life. And in that plan, I was going to care for you. Philippians chapter 4 verse 19 says, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Uh, Luke chapter 6 verse 38 says, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure pressed down and shaken together and running over shall men give into your bosoms for with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. Turn over to Lamentations chapter number 3. Uh, uh, Lamentations chapter number 3 and look with me at verse number 22 if you could. Lamentations Lamentations chapter 3, and uh, this was a late edition. It's not on the screen because I added this in while I was sitting on the front pew a few minutes ago. But it's it's good. It was so good I had to throw it in here. Look at Lamentations chapter 3, and look at verse number 22. It says, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Now, let me pause right there. Those verses are common. Let me ask, how many of you have those two verses More or less, you have those two verses memorized. Can I see your hand? Let me show you the verses that follow, because they're just as good. Look at the next set, 24. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. Now, this idea of his plan to care for us, look at verse 25. The Lord, the Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. His plan to care for us. The Lord is good. He is good to us. It is his nature to be good. Why is it that you ought to worship the Lord? Listen, I can stand up here today and say because of what he did for you. And listen, if all that there was is what Jesus did for us, that would be enough to do everything he said, even if he was a tyrannical, dictatorial jerk. Listen, he saved my soul from hell. If he never gives me one more good thing in my life for the rest of my life, I still come out way ahead, do I not? I'm on my way to heaven. But it isn't just what the Lord did for us. It's what the Lord continues to do for us. We all have air to breathe. We have clothes to wear. We have our health. Some of us have more of it than others. But if you're here this evening, praise God. You were able to get up and get dressed no matter how labored it was and get here. And some of you are sitting in the pew this evening with some sort of medical condition and you're uncomfortable and uh, uh, things could be better. But praise God for the health that you have, the ability to hear, the ability to laugh and, and to feel and all of the material items that we have. And praise God for good food. Can I get a witness this evening? Boy, he sure takes care of us, doesn't he? Why is it that we should call him Lord? What credentials does he have to be the Lord of our life? Well, he created us, he saved us, and he continues to take care of us. Number two, notice our Lord's commands, our Lord's commands. Now, 
um, growing up in a, um, a Christian home and being in church uh, uh, my entire life, there were several factors that, that played into what I'll call a brainwashing. A brainwashing. I, I, I'm just going to tell you the truth this, this evening. I've been brainwashed since birth to, 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 to live for the Lord. I have. It's been pounded in me since I was a little guy. Uh, I was raised solely through Christian education uh, from kindergarten to 12th grade. I was taken to Sunday school, uh, now called Life Groups, from the time I was uh, a newborn. In fact, I think I was only a week old when I went to church. And my parents had me on a bus route in a car seat, uh, taking kids home uh, uh, from church in Chicago and uh, I, I went off uh, after I finished 12th grade and, and went to, to Bible college and trained to be a preacher. And, and I graduated from Bible college and went, jumped right into church ministry. And, and I have been put in this mode where I've been raised uh, uh, to follow uh, the Lord my whole life. And you say, well, why are you telling us that this evening, Pastor? Here's the reason. I'm not the only one that's been raised in church my whole life. I sure grew up with a whole bunch of other little boys and girls and then teenage boys and girls who also grew up hearing the same stories in the Bible that I heard, growing up hearing that Jesus Christ had died on the cross for them, and they got in their car and patched the pirate adventures, played in their car just like they did in mine, and boy, they sure heard it all. But somewhere along the path, they decided to set to the side that Jesus was to be the Lord of their life and live their own life. Can I ask you this evening, are you really focused in on what he's done for you? If your foot was caught in a set of train tracks, and I came out to where those train tracks were, and I saw there was a train bearing down on you about to kill you, and, 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 and in a huff I ran over there, and, and I worked to loosen your foot and, and get you free, right as the train is bearing down on you, you're moments away from death, and I free that foot, and the conductor is laying on the horn, but can't get the train stopped, and in a last moment, I step back, and I push you as hard as I can, and I knock you loose, and I knock you out of the way of that train, and that train hits me and takes my life, and my grieving parents who live right up the road from you. They come to you and say, hey, oh boy, my son died. He died to save your life and how precious your life is uh, to us. Could we adopt you into our family? Would you agree uh, to be part of our family, depending on your age, child or brother or sister or whatever? Can we make you part of our family to replace uh, our son? And would you uh, please live in a way that honors this family's name? Would you come and visit us on the holiday? Would you call us regularly? Would you treat us with respect? How many of you think that that would be a reasonable request this evening? Would it not be a reasonable request? Jesus Christ died for you. He, He suffered for you. And then he rose from the dead and he just showers you with blessings day in and day out. And he says, hey, I'm up here and I'm good to you. And there are some things I want you to do for me. Well, what are those? Let's look at them quickly here. Notice letter A, learn me. Learn me. Matthew chapter 11 verse 29 says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. And look here, we see the demeanor of our Savior. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. You know why it is that on a daily basis I try to read my Bible? Is I want to know more about my Savior. I want to know everything I can about it. Now, um, while I'm on this learn me thing, um, can I tell you something this evening? I know a lot about Michael Jordan. When I was a little boy, Michael Jordan, man, he would, I want to be like Mike. 
the shoes, the Gatorade, dare I say it, the underwear, all of it. I mean, it was Michael Jordan was a big deal. And uh, my dad, um, uh, my dad doesn't like one particular team. He likes whoever happens to be the best. And I call that being a bandwagon fan. And I pick on him about it and he gets really upset. So I have to back down. So thankfully he's probably not watching this right now. If so, dad, I'm sorry. I love you. All right. Uh, but, uh, back in the nineties, Michael Jordan was the best, in my opinion, the greatest of all time and the goat. And, uh, I grew up watching Michael Jordan just fell in love with the way he played basketball. You know, I learned a lot of facts about Michael Jordan, but can I tell you, I don't know Michael Jordan. I really don't know the man. Michael Jordan. You know, there's a lot of people, they know a lot about God. Boy, they can quote all 66 of the books of the Bible in order. They've even read the Bible through as a textbook uh, or as a, a, a famous book that's been written. And boy, they know the facts, but they don't really know the Lord. They don't walk with Him. They don't spend time with Him. Um, and, and I would tell you uh, this evening that it isn't just enough for you to sit in a pew three times a week, two times a week, one time a week, however often you come. It isn't just enough for you to sit in a pew and open your Bible and let the preacher preach to you. You need to establish your own relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And you need to learn who he is. Not just learn the facts, but learn his demeanor and do your best to live it. And so what are the commands of our Savior? First thing he wants us to do is to uh, learn me. He says, learn me. Let her be noticed. Love me. Love me. John chapter 14. Let's turn over there if we could. John chapter 14. We're going to look at 14 and 15 here. John chapter 14. Jesus lays it. I love when he just lays it out there so simple for us. And uh, gives us these one-liners that, boy, we can just take and, and tuck away and learn and, and, and live with. John 14, if you can't find verse 15. Can we read that out loud together? We ready? If ye love me, keep my commandments. Boy, that's quite simple, isn't it? You know what he's saying? Don't just tell me you love me. Boy, uh, let's, uh, let's put up or shut up. Let, let's, let's live out the love. If ye love me, keep my commandments. Um, uh, there is the idea of being in love, right? I am in love with my wife, and I really am. Uh, we got married uh, June 22nd, 2007. Uh, what a great day that was. And uh, I was madly in love with her then. I'm deeper in love with her now. But can I tell you that if I go home for the next week and tell her I love her, but don't do anything that she needs me to do around the house... Love is just, it, it's just a feeling. It's not, uh, it, it's an, rather it's an adjective, not a verb. Love needs to be a verb. The love needs to be acted on. And I, it's, it's great for you to say, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice. Are you going to go out and live that love? We have to love the Lord. Look at John chapter 15, verse 12. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, and a man lay down his life for his friend. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. So we see this love continuum. God loved the Son. The Son loved us. And now this, we are to love each other. And so there we get the greatest commandments. How do we love God? Well, we do that by helping Him love the world around us. We love Him and we love the world around us. Learn me. Love me. Let her see. Live for me. Live for me. Turn back over to Luke. Uh, we were in 6. Look at Luke chapter 9, verse number 23. 
Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. By the way, uh, I, I gave you an introduction, really point 1 and 2, climax in point 3 in Luke chapter 6 with this idea of calling him Lord but not living for him. And so uh, we're setting the stage here. Letter C, live for me. Look at Luke chapter 9 and look at verse number 23. The Bible says, and he said to them all, if any man will come after me. Now here's where the rubber hits the road. Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? Jesus says here, he says, if you want me to be your Lord, then you're going to need to lay down your own dreams and your own ambitions. And you're going to need to pick up your cross and follow me. I wish I could stand up here this evening and tell you that the Christian life is all peaches and cream. It's all easy. It's a better roses. But you know, roses have thorns. Sometimes when we bear our cross, we fall beneath the weight of our cross, just like Jesus did. Sometimes when we bear a cross, we sweat and we bleed. Sometimes when we bear a cross, we put our head down in prayer and we weep. Sometimes when we bear a cross, others who bore their cross next to us let us down and hurt us. You see, living for Jesus is a commitment. And living for Jesus is a willingness to say, I'm going to bear the cross you gave me, no matter how tough it is. Will there be days where we stand on a mountaintop and rejoice? Oh, yes, there will be. Will there be days where God says, it's not time to be on a mountaintop, it's time to be in a valley. And I want you to carry that cross I want you to carry it through the valley. You're going to battle and struggle with the valley of the shadow of death. You're going to wish you were dead. You see, it's fun to call Jesus Lord in the good times. But it's character to call him Lord in the tough times. It's easy to call him Lord when we're doing the things that we enjoy doing. It's another level to call him Lord when we have to change things in our life that God puts his finger on and says, that needs to go. You say, well, well but, but I need a chapter and verse. And God says, you don't need a chapter and verse. I told you it needs to go. It needs to stop. It needs to change. And Jesus looks you in the eye and says this. He says, I died for you. Will you live for me? I was willing to lay it all on the line for your eternal soul to be salvaged. 
I, I back up the dump truck proverbially to you every day and I pour out so many blessings on you and you take them all for granted day after day after day. And then I come to you with a little request. And what do you say? You say, ah, I don't have time. Well, I would, but it, it, it isn't uh, uh, what uh, I enjoy. And God says, listen, take up your cross daily and follow me. What are our Lord's command? He says, learn me, love me, live for me, letter D, be loyal to me. Look at verse number 26 of Luke chapter 9. And whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed. When he shall come in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. But I tell you the truth, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the kingdom of God. Now we can focus on verse 27. We'll do that another time. Verse 26, Jesus said this. He said, if you're going to be ashamed of me, I'm going to be ashamed of you. If you're going to be ashamed of me, I'm going to be ashamed of you. Um, and when I come uh, and rapture you and, and bring you into glory, I'm going to be ashamed of you the way you have been ashamed of me. How many remember back to the days, that some of you are there now, but how many remember back to the days of being a little boy or a little girl and you, you were on bad terms with mom and dad? You know what I'm talking about? You did something and you knew it was just like, whoa, that was, I was way out of bounds and mom and dad weren't, weren't very happy with you or uh, maybe you did something that just hurt the family name, hurt the family name and you get home and it, it, the tension's so thick in the house you can almost cut it with a knife. You know what I'm talking about? Boy, when I get to heaven, I want God to look at me in the eye and say, you had your knuckle-headed moments, but boy, all in all, you, you work to be a faithful servant. I don't want to get to heaven and have him turn his back on me and say, you were ashamed of me, now I'm ashamed, of, I'm, I'm ashamed that I saved you. Boy, you had a hard time standing up for me in the workplace you had a hard time telling your neighbors you were a born-again Christian. You had a hard time changing things in your lifestyle that were, for you, inconvenient because of what other people were going to think about you. God says this. He says, I want you to be loyal to me because I am loyal to you. Aren't you glad this evening there's nothing you can do that will cost you your salvation? There's not a sin you can commit where God would say, okay, you're unsaved. Boy, once you're in the family of God, you're in. You know why? Because God is loyal to you. Because it's who he is. And God looks at us and says, I'm your Lord and I want you. I'm perfect, God says. Not me. I'm not perfect. I'm far from it. But God says, I'm perfect. I'm flawless. I am the perfect leader. I am the best lover of your soul there will ever be. And I want you to be loyal to me. Why is it so tough for us? Well, that brings us to number three. Number three, our lack of compliance. Our lack of compliance. Letter A, we lose context. Let me ask you a question this evening. Are you self-centered or Savior-centered? Are you self-centered or Savior-centered? Here's what I believe. I believe that if God formed me in the womb... And if God saved me from hell, and if God showers me with his compassions daily, then I should be willing to do whatever he wants me to do whenever he wants me to do it. Is that fair? 
Are we, are we all on the same page this evening? You say, Pastor, I'm nervous of where you're going to take this. Well, hang on here. Let me just say that again. If God was willing to create me in the womb and willing to save my soul from hell and willing to shower me with compassions every day, then I should be willing to do whatever He wants me to do whenever He wants me to do it. We call Him Lord, but do not obey Him as Lord because we focus on ourselves and forget about who He is and what he has done for us. We lose context. We lose context. We're not focusing on his creation of us. We're not focusing on his cleansing of us. We're not focusing on his care of us. We lose that context because we're focused on ourselves. I could take a minute here and I could preach about the high levels of narcissism that exist in today's culture. But I believe you all are aware of that. And I would just say this this evening. Be more centered on the Savior than you are on yourself. Letter B, we love comfortable. We love comfortable. What What's familiar is comfortable. By the way, there's nothing wrong with comfortable. Okay, I, I drive a comfortable car. Someone graciously purchased for me, and I'm very thankful for that. And I drive a comfortable car. I live in a comfortable home. And, and I have to tell you this evening, I am a mattress snob. Um, uh, my wife has just got put up with me. Every mattress we've owned, she's been great with. And uh, not me, man. Every mattress I've, we've owned has just driven me nuts. And, and we've probably bought three, four, five mattresses in our marriage. And uh, we have finally landed on one that I adore. Okay, I love that mattress. And you know why I love that mattress? Because I'm comfortable. I'm comfortable. Um, I love comfortable too. But when comfortable gets in the way of obeying the Lord, then we're worshiping comfortable and we're not worshiping the comforter. God's called us not to allow comfortable to get in the way. Um, uh, what's familiar? You say, well, what's comfortable? What's familiar is comfortable. What's familiar is comfortable. Um, uh, some folks here are very rattled about the changes being made at the church. And uh, it's funny. Some of the people who gripe the hardest about the remodel are the ones praising the loudest about the remodel. And, hey, praise God for that. But what's familiar uh, is comfortable. Well, here's another one. What's easy is comfortable. Um, what's popular is comfortable. Uh, what's convenient is comfortable. And we love comfortable so much that God says, hey, go over there and hand a gospel track to that person. And we say, but I don't want to. Well, why don't you want to? You know why? Because it's not easy. It's not, it's not convenient. It's not the popular thing to do. And God says, I want you to go and, and help in the nursery on Sunday mornings. And you say, well, I don't like babies. Well, you maybe don't like babies, but if the Lord's called you to do it, He'll give you the grace to get through it, won't He? God says, I want you to hop up and work on that bus route. I want you to help in that teen ministry. I want you to work the children's program. I want you to usher. I want you to help in the sound booth. I want you to show up on Saturday morning and take the gospel of Jesus Christ and share it to the community. And we say, but that's not comfortable for me. And God says, it wasn't comfortable for me either when I hung on a cross and I died for your sins. But I did it anyway because I loved you. And God says to you today, he says, I'm calling you to let me call the shots in your life. I'm calling you to let me truly be the Lord of your life. 
our lack of compliance. We love comfortable. Let's finish the message in Luke chapter 6. Let's look at verses 48 and 49. Number four, notice our life's consequences. Our life's consequences. Back up to verse number 46, if you will, there. Verse 46 says, And why call ye me, Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Well, you're quick to call me Lord, but then you go forth and you, you pick and choose what you want to obey and do. God says, listen, I'm either the total Lord of your life or I'm not the Lord of your life at all. Now, when I look at, when I use that word consequences, that word consequences has a positive and a negative connotation to it. What we reap, we sow. Look at verse 48. He is like a man which built in house and digged deep and laid the foundations on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it. For it was founded upon a rock. Who is this? This is someone who not only heard what the Lord said, but did what the Lord said. Look at verse 49. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built in house upon the earth, against which the stream did beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Let me give you A and B right next to each other here. Letter A is the foundation of compliance. The foundation of compliance. And letter B is the failure of a counterfeit. The foundation and the failure. The foundation of compliance. The failure of a counterfeit. This really comes down to one question. One question. Have you given your heart 100% to Jesus Christ? Are you that servant that comes into the presence of the master and receives an order and leaves and does it with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Or are you a servant that enters the uh, presence of your master and gets an order and procrastinates because they're self-centered and want to do their own thing? Which one are you? Which one are you? You say, but pastor, I have bills to pay, and I have a a, a family to love, and, and I have all of these things in my life that are distracting and pulling me away. And I would say, then, those things are the Lord of your life, and He is not the Lord of your life. I think back to our revival services, and Pastor Morales preached a sermon entitled, No Excuses. No Excuses. And uh, there is no excuse for not following what the Lord has called us to do. How about it tonight, Christian? Are you building a foundation that no one sees? That when the storms come and hit your life, boy, you're a house that doesn't fall. Or are you only concerned with the exterior, uh, uh, the exterior uh, uh, view, that counterfeit view of, hey, I sure look the part. I sure talk the part. I know how to call him Lord. But boy, privately, I'm not really living it. Let's lay the foundation. Let's lay the foundation of Christians who follow the Lord's command. I'm going to tell you this evening that no one is ever going to be perfect at this. But we ought to strive to please the Lord with what we do. 
Lord, I pray tonight you would take this sermon as it's been preached. Lord, would you help us not to follow what Peter said, but Lord, rather what Peter did. Peter said, not so, Lord, but then he arose and he obeyed. Lord, may we not live a lifestyle that says, not so, Lord. May we not be Christians who give lip service to Christianity, but don't live the life to back it up. May we bear our cross. May we faithfully follow what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name.